Welcome to South Hills. We're glad you're here. My name is Randy. And uh, if you're new around here, thanks so much for joining us on a Sunday and uh, getting up. And especially, you know, you had a little extra sleep this morning, but coming out and checking things out, we're so thankful. If you uh, are new here, uh, maybe you're like, who's that Moses guy? What's this church all about? Why is that guy up there and not him? Um, So we are a campus. uh, We're one church in many locations. And so um, we have eight campuses in Southern California. Uh, Pastor Moses, that you saw in the video, he's our senior pastor, and he actually doesn't lead any of our campuses. Uh, He just oversees uh, our whole organization. And so all of our campuses have somebody like me who's leading the campus and does all the teaching and leading locally. And so uh, you will primarily see me around here. And so uh, you'll see him on video pretty frequently, uh, and he visits a lot. Um, But we have eight campuses in Southern California. We have three international campuses, um, one in Puerto Rico, two in Africa. And so um, that's if, if you're going like, what, how's all this work? Uh, but that, that's, that's who we are. We're so glad. Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. Uh, there's a lot of us that are just people. You'll find that. In fact, I was talking this morning, um, the, uh, the janitor that works here, the, the custodian that works for the school, uh, his name's Brad, and, um, and it was the first time he's ever worked um, on a Sunday for us. And so he's like, I've had a lot of bad, he was just telling me but before service this morning, I've had a lot of bad experiences with churches. And he's like, so far, you guys don't seem super weird. And I was like, that's a win. We'll take it. Okay. Um, so we're going to dive into the scriptures. Before we do, a couple other things to let you know about. Um, so Charlie told you about our, uh, our, our team night that's coming up. If you have been involved, if you are interested in being involved in serving, we would love to have you come check that out next Wednesday, a week from this Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be at our place. So next week, we'll give you all the location details, but we wanted to give you the date so you could mark it off. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, certainly as our guest, man, please, we have a gift for you that we'd love to, to give to you. Uh, and then celebrate next week. Our, so we're going to have tacos and cupcakes. Like, well, how else would you celebrate a birthday party? And so it's our one-year birthday that we're celebrating. So we'll have tacos and, and cupcakes. And who, who doesn't love tacos and cupcakes? Uh, we've also been talking about a serve opportunity that we have that's coming up this coming Sunday. Uh, we are where we're jumping in with something called Rake Up Boise. And so um, we had to like commit before I could even talk to you about it. So I committed a bunch of us. And so they gave us a bunch of houses to clean up. And so even if you've signed up electronically, we've actually had some issues on the back end, sort of not getting all the details. And so at the connect counter that you passed on your way in, there's a physical sign-up sheet. And so even if you've signed up before, or if you haven't signed up, but you'd like to help, it's this coming Saturday. Um, the idea is for us to do it just between 10 and 1 p.m. And obviously, the more of us that we have, the quicker we can knock it out and just go serve as many of these families as we can. So we'd love to have you join us. We're going to divide up in teams and go conquer. And, and you know, somebody before service was like, why don't we just buy a bunch of those like leave sucker things that like we just go out there and suck them. Like, okay, well, if you have one, bring it because I want to operate it. Um, but uh, so anyway, we would love for you to join us. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good, it, it would be a good time and a good opportunity for us to serve our community. So uh, recently, uh, I fell down an internet rabbit hole where I read an article on um, this thing called the Mandela Effect, and that led to a, a video, and then another article, and then other videos, and it was all really entertaining. And so if you're ever looking for a little bit of fun and some time to waste and maybe you know, have your mind blown just a little bit, um, you know, definitely like Google it, start kind of reading around. So, but the Mandela Effect is this pop culture name that was given and kind of caught on for real to this phenomenon where a person or a group of people have false or 
wildly distorted memories of something very specific. And so it could be anything, you know, the stuff you'll find online is like stuff that people thought was in a movie or some, you know, the, the death of a celebrity or the timeline of something. Uh, like for instance, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but in the Star Wars sort of universe, you know, one of the most famous quotes of all time was in The Empire Strikes Back when Luke is fighting Darth Vader and Darth Vader chops off his hand, spoiler alert, um, and, and, then, uh, and, and then Darth said this really famous line where he says, Luke, I am your father, um, only he didn't say that in the movie. Um, he said something else. And so, uh, but, the, but people want to fight and argue about that. Then they go and watch the movie. And he didn't actually say that because leading up to this scene, um, Luke actually says to Darth Vader, you killed my father. So he doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. That'd be weird. He actually says, no, I am your father. Uh, and so for whatever reason, that's not that big a deal. It's a detail, whatever. People flipped out, but it can be anything from celebrities that people remember like celebrities dying like five years before they actually died, you know, watching their funeral. Like, no, that didn't happen. Uh, products, branding, things that are named certain ways. People rem remembering like movies from their childhood that never actually got made, uh, which just kind of actually makes you a psycho, not like somebody that just is experiencing something that's kind of weird. Uh, but, the, but the Mandela effect is all these examples of how our brains are playing tricks on us. And it happens because our brains are constantly working to be as efficient as possible. So they're synthesizing all the information and data and experiences that we're taking in and trying to make sense of, it, sense of it at all times. And so as a result, we frequently have memories of things that you know, didn't happen exactly how they actually happened. They're completely different from how we remember them. And sometimes we actually have memories of things that didn't really happen at all. We're just simply unaware of how often our brains are taking shortcuts in our everyday life, how frequently our brains are filling in the gaps of certain experiences and memories and certain things that we're going through and how often they just kind of approximate what we saw or heard to make the memory that we have of that thing sort of look and sound true and feel real. Now, the troubling thing is not when our brains do that with something as dumb as a movie quote or some famous person dying, the, the troubling thing is when it happens in our real lives in very important parts of our life, including our faith. And so sometimes we come to believe certain things or attribute certain things to God because they sound true because we thought we remember reading it or we thought we heard it or somebody once said. But the problem is just because something sounds true doesn't mean that it actually is. Because sounds true doesn't actually bring any sort of benefit or freedom to us. Jesus famously said in John chapter 8, verse 32, he said that it's what is true that brings us freedom. It's what is true that brings us life. Where he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So sounds true doesn't bring any freedom. Just because something sounds true doesn't help us. And the obvious problem is that it's possible for us to truly and sincerely believe something that sounds true, but will ultimately end up messing up our lives and will leave us more broken and less free. So I, I have become kind of a, like a, a documentary, you know, a documentary like junkie. And so like I've been, I was actually talking about this with Arden the other day. Like I'm really, and I think there's some sort of line that you've crossed when you start watching documentaries all the time that you just know like, okay, now I'm not a young person anymore. Now I'm old and boring. Uh, but but I'm, fascinating by I'm fascinated by documentaries, especially documentaries 
about, about cults. And so I've been watching a ton of documentaries about cults. And, and so I recently finished this one called The Vow about this organization called Nexium, and all these like famous people got involved with it. And it was just, it ended up being this complete crazy, crazy town thing. But one of the things that comes out of it as people were coming out of the cult and sort of waking up that they were involved in this super weird thing. And then they're having conversations with people about it, you know, because people are like, uh, you know, people are like, how could you possibly, you know, buy into that? Why would you ever do that? And the shame and the embarrassment that they feel. And they're like, look, I, it, look it, like it sounded true. Like it felt real. Like it, there were parts of it that were like, like I, I didn't know I was joining a cult, okay? Like nobody actually goes, hey, I'd like to join a cult. Like, no, you don't. No, it, just, it just felt true. It felt real. And so we're gonna actually spend the next few weeks digging into some things that may sound true. And we're gonna ask the question, but are they true? Are these things that God actually said to us in the scriptures? Or are they just things that kind of like where we took this piece of thing and we picked it and put these together? And, and there's a lot of them. And, and so we could spend, you know, quite a few weeks on this, but we're just going to take kind of four of the big ones that sort of float around out there. And the first one that we're going to tackle today is this idea that everything happens for a reason. No, it's not. No, it doesn't. Let's pray. We're done. That's all I have to say. No, but we, we've all heard that everything happens for a reason. And it honestly sounds true. And if you're like me, like there's times where like, I hope that's true, but where did it come from? And is it actually true? So let me read you something from the scriptures in the New Testament. The apostle Paul, who, who was uh, not only a follower of Jesus, but one of the leaders in the other church and wrote letters all over, you know, planted churches all over the Mediterranean rim and wrote letters back to them that comprise a, a huge chunk of the New Testament for us. But li listen to something he said. He said, everything happens for a reason. People change so that we can learn to let go. Things go wrong so that we can learn to appreciate them when they're right. You believe lies, so eventually you learn to trust nobody but yourself. And sometimes good things fall apart so that better things can fall together. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't the Apostle Paul. That was actually Marilyn Monroe that said all that. But the fact that when we're listening to stuff like that, and we're like, I mean, that kind of, uh, wait, what? Like, just, uh, the fact that it gives us pause and we're just like, oh, I mean, yeah, okay. Like, that, that's why we're doing this, this series. Because there's stuff out there that we sort of attach, that we repeat, that we share, that, that we kind of buy into. And is it true? Is it helpful? Is it bringing freedom? Or is it, is it just maybe kind of nonsense because there's a lot of cliches. There's a lot of sayings that kind of fit really well on a refrigerator magnet. There's a lot of stuff that makes for popular memes and internet wisdom that are given the weight for those of us that are followers of Jesus. They're given the weight of scripture. They're given the weight as if God actually said it. And sometimes it's that God, not only did God not say that, he may have even said something that was the exact opposite. Now, here's something that the Apostle Paul, who I just described a second ago, really did say. Right in the middle of one of his letters called Thessalonians, right in the middle of all these instructions on how to live and interact with each other and these instructions on, he gives these instructions on what to do if someone claims to have a prophecy, somebody claims to be speaking for God. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, he says this. He says, test everything that's said and hold on to what's good. And so he's going, look, if someone claims to be speaking the truth, 
If someone claims like, hey, what I'm about to tell you, God told me to tell you this, or, or when somebody stands up and says, this is the truth about God, he goes, don't, don't just blindly go along. Don't just blindly accept it because it sounds true. No, put it to the test. Measure it against the truth of the scriptures. Put it to the test in your lives. And, and we've all heard this idea that everything happens for a reason. And it's usually said to people to try to comfort them when they're going through pain or disappointment. So we're like, look, I know you just like lost your dream job, but hey man, chin up. Everything happens for a reason. Like I know the girl that you love broke up with you for your best friend, but hang in there, man. Everything happens for a reason, right? It's kind of this phrase that we use as kind of our catch-all sort of verbal band-aid that we try to put on life when life doesn't make sense, when life hurts, when, when we're disappointed. And, and whether it's true or not, if like we step back for a second, we all have moments where we want to believe it, where we want it to be true, because like we want to believe that nothing is random in life. Like it's not just chaotic. Like there, there's something going on. Like there's some cosmic purpose or meaning to life, especially life's most difficult moments. And also we want to believe that bad things are ultimately always going to be followed by good things because life will just sort of naturally balance out, which is not necessarily true. Because wanting something to be true doesn't actually make it true. So there are moments in my life, speaking personally, where I've found the idea that everything happens for a reason. I've found that idea kind of comforting. I understand why we say it. I understand why people, I've said that to people. But there are other moments when I stop and think about it, other moments where somebody said that to me where it was absolutely kind of, to be honest, kind of horrifying. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, when you scratch beneath the surface of everything happens for a reason, the implication is at some level, God caused this terrible thing that happened to you, but it's okay because it's all a part of some big plan that he has. And if that's true, That feels extremely problematic and brings up all these questions and problems, right? Because like there's a there's a lot of stuff that makes you know that 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 brings up in my heart and mind. So in 2016, some of you guys know this story, like my stepmom of 24 years was murdered brutally in a parking lot so a guy could take her phone and her purse and go sell it for drugs. A few months later, my 11-year-old nephew, who was completely healthy, out of the blue, had a seizure in his sleep and died. And so we, are, we had within a span of a couple of months, these massive tragedies that just rocked our family. And in the wake of all of that, there were well-meaning people who said stupid stuff like this to us in the middle of it. And it made me, it didn't like, there wasn't like, comfort, it wasn't like comforting, like, oh, everything happens for a reason. Oh, no, I wanted to throat punch people. Like, shut up, get out of here with that. Because all I could think when somebody said that, well, yeah, but screw God's greater plan. Screw the bigger purpose. Screw the grander good. Like, I don't care about that because all all that's true. Why doesn't God actually care about the pain that we're in? Why doesn't he care about the collateral damage in the lives of people that his plan is causing? Which is the question that we can't help but ask in those moments, right? Like, why? Why is this happening? Because human beings, we are meaning-making machines. We're obsessed with making our life make sense. So we are constantly like, this had to have happened for a reason, so I got to find out what the reason is. 
Now, one of the things that makes this conversation kind of complicated, if you're a church person or you believe the Bible or you read the Bible or you follow Jesus, like when you read the scriptures, you actually do find a lot of reasons that the scriptures give us for why bad, hurtful, and destructive things happen. So I wanted to kind of run through a list that I think all of these reasons exist in the scriptures. Like when you, when you read different stories, number one is like God did it. So in the opening scenes of the story of God and humanity in Genesis chapter seven, God himself, God causes the earth to flood and a whole lot of people die. Well, everything happens for a reason. So in this situation, the reason is God did it. There's other situations where God didn't do it, but Satan did it. So there's this, the, the enemy of God, the enemy of God's people, the evil one, Satan, whatever you want to call him. Like there's this story in the book of Job, in Job chapter two, where Satan goes to God and he gets permission to inflict pain on an innocent and righteous person. There's times where we read where like things happen because society did it. So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, he actually is talking about how there are broken and destructive patterns and systems in the world that become culturally acceptable. And we often get swept up in them and we have to resist that. And we, have to be, we can't be conformed to those things, but we gotta be transformed. Sometimes we see that nature did it. Matthew chapter eight, Jesus himself, he's on a boat with a bunch of his friends and they get swept up in, in this deadly storm. And then there's situations where other people did this bad, hurtful thing. In Genesis chapter four, Cain kills his innocent brother Abel in a jealous rage. And ironically, he kills him because Abel had done what God had commanded and he had not. And so rather than go, okay, God, you're right. Like, I'm gonna do what you said. He's like, no, I'm gonna go kill the guy that did what you said so that, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So sometimes it's that they did it. And then there's times where, the bad thing that's happening, the hurtful thing, the disappointment, the, the difficult thing that's happening is I, I did it. Sometimes I do stupid stuff and stupid stuff hurts. In Galatians chapter six, this is a, it basically talks about how when we treat people poorly, we will be treated poorly by other people. Like there's this like sowing and reaping thing. And so when you step back and kind of look at the list, like in some crazy sort of twist, there's this overarching sense that everything does happen for a reason. The problem is that's not what we mean when we say it, right? Because the reason isn't always God and the reason isn't always good. Just because there's a reason why what happened happened doesn't actually mean that you or I have the ability to determine what that reason was or that there's only one reason. Sometimes there's multiple reasons or that those reasons were good or part of some, you know, designed, they were designed in advance to teach you some specific lesson. And so where does that leave us? Cause that's kind of really frustrating and actually often causes us to doubt all the things that we ultimately try to build our lives on. If you're a person of faith that you build your faith around. Now, thankfully, it's not just us who wrestled with this. There's actually a story in the New Testament where one of the most significant and important people in the story and life of Jesus experienced this moment of disappointment and questioning and trying to figure out why what was happening to him was happening. His name was John the Baptist. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse two. It says this. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing and so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now we're gonna get to Jesus's answer in just a second. Before we do that, 
It's sometimes easy to kind of read these stories and sort of gloss over what's happening. So it says John was in prison. Can I just tell you, anytime you wind up in prison, it's safe to say that your life is not going according to plan. Nobody like steps into prison and is like, whoa, I've been trying to get here. I made it. Yeah. No, he's like, I'm in prison. I shouldn't be here. This is not where I wanted to be. And even worse for John, he was there for doing the right thing. See, John was a really good man. He was a godly man, but he also had kind of a big mouth. He was unafraid to stand up and speak truth to people in power. He was unafraid to call out political and religious leaders for corruption and abuse and for evil. And so he hadn't done anything wrong. He had just made the wrong people, the powerful people really angry. And so he had made this guy, King Herod, he had made him angry and Herod had had enough of him. And so he throws him in prison. And Herod was a psycho. Herod had actually killed several of his wives. He had killed some of his own children. Herod was willing to murder anyone that he perceived to be a threat to his power politically. And so the longer that John is sitting in prison, the more he's beginning to realize, I'm, I'm probably not going to get out of here. I'm probably going to die in this prison. And he wasn't being dramatic. He wasn't being, you know, overly sensitive. He was actually right. Because a few days after this story takes place, John was beheaded in the prison where he was being held. And so he's in this mess, he's in this prison, he knows things are not looking good for him, and he does what we do. He basically sends a message to Jesus and is going, why is this happening? He's like, are you the Messiah, or should we keep looking for someone else? Which is really the question we all ask at some point, and usually in these kinds of moments, are you God or not? Are you real or not? Are you paying attention or not? Do you care? Do you love me? If you, like, where are you? Why aren't, why is this happening? And you probably know people, you've probably heard, we hear these stories all the time of people who they reached this moment. They were people of faith, but they reached this moment and they started asking these questions and the answers came back in a way that, that, they, that they didn't like. And so now they're, now they're like, and so I moved on to looking for someone else, some other truth. So John's sitting there going, are you the one or are you not? Can you get me out of this or not? Please tell me there's a reason for all of this and that it's all actually going somewhere. Now, this is how powerful this is because it's, not, it's pretty normal for us to ask this question and it feels normal for John to ask this question, but it's kind of crazy that John asked this question because he was, not only was he deeply spiritual and devoted to God, it was bigger than that. He was the prophet that God sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. And on top of that, he was a distant relative of Jesus. And so he had been around Jesus his whole life. He had known who Jesus was his entire life. In fact, in, in Luke chapter one, so and, you know, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas and there's gonna be a lot of you know, conversation about Jesus being born and Mary. And so Mary's pregnant and she goes to visit Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth is pregnant. She's farther along. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary goes to visit. And when Mary walks in to the house, Luke tells us like somehow little unborn baby John inside his mom's tummy, as soon as he hears Mary, 
He, he leaps, Mary, Elizabeth says, John leaps inside of me because he knows, like we know, like the baby that you're about to have, you don't even have to say anything. You are carrying the Messiah. You're carrying the one that's gonna come, that you're the one we've all been looking for. And so John in utero knows before he's even born, he's the Messiah, but it didn't stop there. When they grow up and John's off doing his thing and Jesus, before he has a following and he has disciples, one day he's just walking down the road and John the Baptist sees him and he's got this huge crowd and he's got all of his disciples there and he looks at Jesus and he says, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's another moment where John is baptizing people and there's people all over the place and Jesus comes down into the water and he tells John that he needs to baptize them. And, and the scriptures say that when, when Jesus is baptized, when he comes up out of the water, we don't know what it looked like, but somehow the Holy Spirit like visually comes to like the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and, and rests on Jesus. And there's an audible voice that everybody present hears say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And John was there like, Okay, and now, so he knows it when he, before he's born. He, he said, his whole life, he sees all that. Can you imagine, are you the one? I don't know, I'm kind of confused. Are you actually the guy we're looking for? See, because this is such a raw, real human moment for John. That all of those experiences, he's going, yeah, but what, what, what are you gonna do in this moment right now, Jesus? Maybe you can relate to that. By the way, sometimes in church, we act like we have to treat God with like white gloves, like, like he's made of porcelain and his ego is super fragile and you just really don't want to offend him and ask too many hard questions. And, and can I just say like, God exists outside of time and space. He, he spoke and made all that's been made. The, the scriptures describe that when he breathes, if he wants, when he exhales, new stars are born. He sacrificed his own son on a cross for you and I. He can handle your questions. He can handle your fears. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your anger. And so John's like, are you the one? Here's Jesus's response. Verse four, Jesus told him, go back to John and tell him, Everything happens for a reason, John. No, he didn't say that. No, he says, go tell him what you've heard and seen, that the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. I mean, as responses go, that's a pretty good comeback and answer for that question. Like, hey, are you God? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask all the dead people I've raised from the dead? You know, why don't you ask all those formerly blind people? Like, are you the one? Yeah, look, let me roll out my resume of all of these incredible things I've done. Go tell them that. And then he throws in this little tag at the end that almost doesn't fit. He says all these things, this incredible things that are happening. And then he says, and also tell them, blessed are those who don't fall away because of me. Why would Jesus say that? He, would, he said that because in verse two, it actually tells us when it says John who was in prison, he heard about all the stuff Jesus was doing. See, John, everything Jesus said to go tell John, John already knew it was happening. He already knew all of that, but it wasn't helping his faith. In fact, 
It was making it worse. All of the miracles, all of the crazy stuff that was happening, all the people being healed, all the miraculous stuff Jesus was doing was actually confusing John more. See, because nobody's ever walked away from their faith because too many blind people started seeing, right? No, nobody's just like, look, I can't take it. If one more dead guy comes back to life, I'm out. That's never happened. John knew all of the stuff that Jesus was doing, but he was in prison about to lose his head and he couldn't figure out why Jesus wasn't coming through for him. And so all of that stuff that what Jesus was doing was like salt in John's wounds. So Jesus says, and go and tell them, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. See, Jesus is saying, John, yes, I am, to answer your question, I am the one. I'm the one that heals the sick. I'm the one that makes the blind see. I'm the one that raises the dead. I'm the one, to use your words, I'm the one that takes away the sins of the world, but I'm also the one who's not gonna come through for you in the way you want me to come through right now. I'm the one who's not gonna do the miracle that you want me to do in your situation. You're probably gonna die in that prison. And there are reasons that you're suffering, but the reasons aren't what you want them to be. You're suffering because Herod is crazy. You're suffering because there's no due process. You're suffering because we live in an incredible time of political unrest. You're suffering because you did the right thing and you stood up to evil, powerful people. But don't lose heart because just because God's not gonna rig this moment in your favor doesn't mean that, there's not, that he's not going to ultimately redeem it for good. Just because I'm not gonna come through for you like you want me to doesn't mean that it's all meaningless. In fact, it's just the opposite. See, God, near as I can tell from looking at the scriptures, God doesn't plan everything, but he does bring purpose to everything. And one of the, the problems with so much of what has come to be known as Christianity is that Jesus is just here for our comfort and our security and our success and our happiness. And while I understand why that's, a, why that's appealing and that is appealing to me at some level, but I also think that there's a sense of us that, that have been involved and even people from the outside kind of looking in that if God only, if there, you know, in their mind, if there is a God, if he only exists to make our life comfortable, isn't that kind of like a waste of God? See, there, there's something inside of us that can't be like, this cannot be what it's all about. This, it cannot be that Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so that I could just have a better, small, self-focused, self-indulgent life where I only care about my own comfort and my own security and my own success. Now, Jesus was going, look, there's a bigger plot that is unfolding here, John. And that, I didn't do that to you, but I can leverage that. Can I be honest? We have a really small perspective and it's difficult for us to hear this and it makes me uncomfortable even saying it in this moment. When John died, he got an upgrade. He ran his race. He finished his course and that's part of the power of the reality of Jesus is that he can bring meaning and purpose and beauty and good to even the most brutal and painful parts of life, including our death or the senseless death 
of somebody we love. There's a really famous verse in Romans chapter eight. It's actually the reason that a lot of Christians say that everything happens for a reason. It reads this way. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is a lot deeper than everything happens for a reason. So, because what he's saying is that regardless of what happens or why it happens, if we'll let him, God will leverage it for our good and ultimately for good. With the caveat that he's the one who knows and defines what's good for us. So, if you're a parent and you have little kids, you've had to parent your kids in a way and allow them to wrestle through things and not rescue them from certain things. And you don't just allow them to define what's good for them because you have a perspective that they don't have. You know what's coming down the road. And so you will allow them to go through something that's uncomfortable and maybe even painful that they don't like, that they wanna get out of right away, but you're not gonna rescue them because you want them to grow and get stronger and learn something and progress to the point because you know that what's ahead of them is so much bigger than just this little uncomfortable thing that they're going through right now. See, the question isn't, is there a reason for everything that happens? The question is, can I trust God? That when he allows, when he's taking this stuff, that he's working for my good. See, God doesn't cause all things Based on Romans 8.28, nothing can actually cause God to stop working to bring good out of all things. So instead of us looking for a reason, I think we should actually look for where God is at work because he says God is at work causing all those things to work together for our good. And the reason that anything in our lives can work out for good is because God is actually involved and working them out. Did you notice that in the story that John the Baptist, like, like, like in that story, like Jesus, Jesus never responds to the question of why. He, he never tries to answer that for John. And, and I think part of it is because our obsession with why really keeps us from the more important question of what? Like what now? What, what's next? And in the end, why is often really complicated and really complex and almost ne- never, it's, it's almost completely unanswerable. And it struck me this week, like we never, at least I, maybe you have, I've never gotten stuck for days or weeks or you know, months at a time asking why all the good has happened to me. I've never met anybody that's just like, I, don't, I can't take it. Why is my life so good? I need to know. Why did this good thing happen? No, we just assume it happened because I'm so awesome. That's why. Because I have an awesome life. That's the answer, which reveals this kind of weird expectation that we have, almost this childlike expectation that our life will be filled only with good stuff. The truth is, every single time I've gotten stuck in my life, it's been because I became fixated in a moment of disappointment or struggle on why. Why did this happen? But the second that I look up and I begin to search for and find where God is at work, and how he's working for the good, 
of my life and the people around me and start asking, what is now? What, what can I do? That is the moment that perspectives change and I can start to move forward. See, because God in his wisdom, he almost never, this has been my experience and this is what I see in the scriptures, he almost never answers the request to remove difficult circumstances. Almost never. But he always answers the prayer to redeem them. God, I don't know why. I wish you would take this away. If you don't, help something beautiful and good come from this situation. In the Old Testament, the wisdom writer actually put it this way, that God brings beauty from ashes. And when our lives burn to the ground, that's something God is able to step into the middle of that mess and bring something beautiful. The idea is all over the New Testament as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul was writing in this letter, and he said, We think you ought to know about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But this, all of this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Have you ever heard someone say that God will never give you more than you can handle? Yeah, that's another one of those stupid things that people say. It is based on a verse, but that verse is not about bad stuff that happens. It's based on temptation. And it sounds good, but the scriptures never actually say that God will never give us more than we can handle when it comes to bad stuff. I mean, we just read a scripture where the guy writing it was like, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We were expecting to die. I mean, that sounds like more than you can handle. We will all face challenges and situations in life that are more than we can handle. The good news this morning, though, is that you will never face anything that is more than God can handle. I don't know if you caught it in the verses we just read, but I think this, in terms of everything I've read, all the, my whole life being a follower of Jesus and as a pastor and studying it, this, I think, is as close to an answer to the question of why as you'll find in the scriptures was what Paul says here. He says, all this bad stuff that happened, we thought we were gonna die, we were overwhelmed. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but we would rely more on God. The truth is, you're gonna, we're all gonna have some of this. It's gonna look different. You're gonna have your this. I have my this. The question isn't, is this going to happen? The question is what you do with this when it happens. That's what matters. Because when it comes to the challenges and the struggles in life, don't rely on yourself. Lean into and learn to rely on God. Because part of the good that God wants to bring out of the difficult seasons of your life is this deeper sense of connection to trust in and reliance on him. And we just have to be honest about it. We rarely, if ever, learn to rely more on God during the good times. No one's ever been like, my life is so good, I think I should trust God more. No one's ever said that. Most of us are like, my life is so good, I think I should trust money more. <laughs> That's usually what, how it goes. 
We, we've all heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people, but it doesn't have to actually be that way. Because if we will learn to trust and rely on God instead of ourselves, God can leverage our hurt to heal other people. Which is really the answer to the question of what now? That God is using the broken and painful places in your life to bring comfort and hope and healing to the world around you. And so as you move into your life, don't let the questions and the puzzles and the pain of your story prevent you from doing the right thing that's right in front of you right now because I don't even know your story, but this is what I know. I know there is some good that's right in front of you that you could be doing right now. But can you see it? Or are you so wrapped up in why is this happening? God never said everything happens for a reason. And maybe sort of philosophically, if we stepped back, maybe the truth is everything does happen for a reason. We just don't like the reasons. And it's not what we mean when we say it. We're really trying to go like, oh, something good's around the corner is essentially what we're saying. God never said it though. But if you'll let him, he will bring reason to everything that happens. So maybe we could all agree not to say this thing to each other. I know it's well-intended, but it's not helpful. Like, like nobody's ever been hurting and you say, hey man, it's all right. Everything happens for a reason. And they're like, oh, I wish somebody would have said that to me yesterday. All this time, I thought there was no reason. But what if instead we move towards people and just said, look, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through this. I don't know why this is happening but I do know that God loves you. I do know that he's for you, that he's with you. And, and I want you to know that I'm, I'm here to help you. Like you're not alone. Like how much more powerful, human, beautiful, how much more like Jesus is that? And, and if you're here this morning and you're trying to make sense of something that's really hard and difficult and painful, know, know that you don't just have, like you're, it's, it's not like, your only options are giving up or buckling down and powering through it. No, like you, don't have to, you don't have to rely on yourself. God is actually inviting you close to him to learn to rely on him. And you might not be able to see it right now and you might not be able to sense it right now, but you can actually move into your day and move into this week knowing that God is at work on your behalf, working for your good, to bring good for you and those around you from whatever mess you find yourself in right now. A, a few verses after the exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist's disciples, Jesus said these words at the end of Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a far cry from everything happens for a reason. God's invitation to you and I is that we would find our way to him and we would bring all the weariness all the stuff and come to him and learn to trust him and rely on him and allow him 
to bring health and healing and rest to our souls. Let's pray together.